Hello and welcome as we continue in our series, Life-Changing Lessons from the Parables. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in Chapter 10. Uh, it's a very important story for, for, for Christians. It's a very confronting story because the story of the Good Samaritan the parable of the Good Samaritan, seems to challenge anyone who has high ideals about God and loving neighbour. And so it seems to challenge anyone with these high ideals and question, confront us with the question, do our high ideals and what we espouse to be true and what we aspire to, um, does that actually translate into a life that is characterised by literally loving others um, and uh, loving our neighbour as ourself? Um, do our actions speak as loudly as our words? So it's a very confronting story. And in this story, I think the context is as important as the story. So let me start by just um, reminding us what the context was. It starts in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? <laughs> when I read this, um, it made me think of the ABC show Q&A where people bring their questions for experts and sometimes those questions seem to be not the question of, a, of someone who genuinely wants the answer to the question but a question that is asked in order to trip up the person that they're asking the question of and that, that is the situation here, that this expert in the law, probably a lawyer, so a lawyer's asking questions, look out, the lawyer brings his questions to Jesus and probably the second question he had, who is my neighbour, was the real question that he wanted to ask. Um, this is, he's asking it of Jesus who had been developing a reputation for hanging around with um, all sorts of undesirable people, sinners in the eyes of the law, uh, people who would make a person, a religious person, unclean. They would defile them. And so I think this lawyer is trying to put Jesus in his place. Um, and uh, by asking this question, who is my neighbour? But his first question is, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus um, Jesus says that his answer is right. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And I must say that if someone were to ask me what must I do to inherit eternal life, that is not the answer that I would give them. I would be more inclined to say um, you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ um, because none of us are perfect and it, you know, so we need to put our faith in the one who was perfect, who was righteous, um, who never sinned and who died on the cross in order for us to be able to become friends again with God and to obtain this eternal life, to be restored to friendship with God. Well, there, there you go. That's what, a, you know, a lot of Christians would answer that question. So, but here Jesus is saying, well, love God and love your neighbour. I really liked what um, the commentator Kyle Snodgrass in his book, uh, I'll just grab that book, 
Here we go. Stories with intent this is a great um, commentary on the parables. And Kyle Snodgrass says about Jesus' answer um, and his, his confirmation of the, the, the lawyer's answer, he says, we always want Jesus to say words that fit our systems, but he neither fits our systems nor addresses Paul's, the Apostle Paul's problem of works righteousness. Our systems, says Snodgrass, need to be reorganised to do justice to Jesus' teaching and that of the early church. This parable, he writes, doesn't advocate earning one's salvation by loving neighbour and so on. It advocates, rather, living out one's relationship with God which is what Christian faith and the whole Bible seek. To love God with all one's being and one's neighbour as oneself is not something less than faith. As was evident elsewhere in Jesus' teaching, we cannot love God apart from trust, apart from faith, apart from obedience. The answer given by the lawyer and clarified by Jesus is not wrong. We might want to add more, as Luke certainly does in his gospel, about how God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, uh, particularly in Christ's death and resurrection. But life, both now and eternally, is in knowing and loving the God revealed in Christ, the same God who worked in Israel's history, and it is in living in conformity with his character. Any claim of faith that does not do that does not do that is not biblical faith. So there we have it. Um, Jesus answers correctly, uh, even though we might want to nuance it a little bit more. Well, let's jump in and have a look at the story that Jesus told in answer to the expert in the law's question, who actually is my neighbour um, and loving God? Uh, and loving neighbour. So Jesus says this, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him off his clothes, they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an end and, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, probably with a disgruntled expression, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we have a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan. And uh, now we all know what a priest is. A Levite was also a Jewish religious person. Um, a Samaritan was a Jew, but actually a much hated Jew. We, we, we don't think in those terms because there are hospitals and charities named after the good Samaritan now. We think the Samaritan was good. But the priests and Levites, uh, the religious people of Jesus's day, the expert in the law who's speaking to Jesus would not have thought of the Samaritan very highly at all. Um, the Samaritans only had part of God's revelation. And so 
Um, to the mind of most Jewish people, they were a bit confused. Uh, they were wrong um, in many ways about what they understood about um, about Judaism and being God's people and where you worship and a whole host of other things. They were actually much hated, um, a bit like the the Catholics and the Protestants hating each other in Northern Ireland or the Sunni and the Shi'i Muslims hating each other in the Middle East. So Jesus is um, picking his characters very carefully. And the first two characters, the priest and the Levite, the Levite was also a Jewish religious person who organised the liturgy at the temple. Um, the priest and the Levite both pass by this man who's lying half dead on the side of the road. They don't help him. Now, some people, I mean, of course, that raises the question, why didn't they stop? We would have expected them to stop and help. These were people who knew God's word, who knew that they needed to love God with their whole heart, mind, soul and strength and to love neighbour as themselves. So why didn't they stop? Why didn't they stop? Some writers have suggested that perhaps they didn't stop because they were both, um, they were both going to the temple to do their work. But that answer doesn't work because these people were travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem, they'd done their temple work up in Jerusalem. They were going home to Jericho. And a lot of, a lot of priests um, and other religious people actually lived in Jericho. It wasn't too far from Jerusalem. Um, so these people, are, these two characters are travelling home and yet they do not stop. And it's true, their law said that were they to touch a dead person, they may have thought this person was dead, uh, were they to touch a dead body, they would be ceremonially unclean for about a week. Uh, were they to touch even um, such a, a damaged person, a, a sick person, they would also be unclean. So perhaps there were things in their law, the little minute bits of the law, that uh, caused a conflict in them and stopped them from actually helping. There was actually a famous religious study, a famous research study done on religious students at a seminary in the US. And in this experiment, which was conducted in the early 1970s, um, a series of students, as part of the experiment, they first uh, went to a particular building and then they were told to go to another building. And it was set up so that between building one and building two, they would encounter a man lying, um, was uncertain whether he was conscious or unconscious, and uh, they would pass by this, this man on their way from building A to building B. And this man, this actor, um, moaned and coughed twice, so there was no, no way that each subject of the study could uh, avoid noticing them in some way, surely. Um, in addition, uh, the subjects of the study, they were all seminary or um, theological college, Bible college students, and they were told that they were going to Building B. They were told as part of the experiment that they were doing either one of two tasks, either that they were going to be giving a talk on how to get a job in a seminary or that they would be giving a talk on the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the researchers were trying to work out whether what was in their heads, what were they thinking was at the time, whether it was filled with the story of the Good Samaritan or filled with an ordinary task about talking about getting 
positions in a seminary, whether that would have an influence. And then they introduced another factor. They told some subjects that um, they needed to yeah, very quickly get to Building B. They were in a hurry. Um, they were running late. And they told others of them that, um, yeah, they had they had some time to spare, but it was time, you know, they should make their way over to the second building now. Um, and then their responses were observed. And let me read to you about... Um, about the results of the, the study. And also when they got to the second building, they were given later on after they'd presented their speech on getting jobs or the story of the Good Samaritan, they were given another uh, behavioural questionnaire as well. Well, here's what happened. Overall, 40% offered some help to the victim. Um, in the situations where the subjects did not believe they were in a hurry to get to the second building, 63% of them helped. Uh, those who were in a medium hurry, there were three conditions of hurry, 45% of them helped. And those who were told that they were in a real hurry, um, only 10% of those helped. So definitely one's sense of hurry or busyness contributed to whether these people stopped and offered help. For those who were given the task of um, telling the story of the Good Samaritan, teaching about that when they got to the next building, 53% of those people stopped. Uh, for those who were just told that they'd be giving a talk on getting jobs in seminary, 29% of those people stopped. Uh, they also asked in the study a series of questions about religiosity to try and, you know, correlate these subjects to priests or Levites or Samaritans, uh, but they didn't find a correlation between um, what kind of religious person you were and whether you stopped or not. But certainly there was a correlation between whether these people, these subjects of the study were in a hurry um, and there was also a correlation. There was some correlation, but not, not as strong as we might have expected um, between those who are going to talk about the Good Samaritan and those who actually stopped. Um, ironically, uh, a person in a hurry is less likely to help people, even if they're going to speak on the story of the Good Samaritan. Some people literally stepped over the victim on their way to the next building. And the results seem to suggest that thinking about our, you know, having, thinking about High, value, high values about people doesn't actually imply that you will actually help someone. Maybe from the study we learned that ethics become something of a luxury when the, as the speed of our daily lives increases. Or it may be that, um, and this is a more generous conclusion, that our, our cognition is, is narrowed by the hurriedness and they failed to make the immediate connections that they would have otherwise have made of an emergency. In the, it was observed and in the behavioural um, questionnaire that they completed at the end, many subjects who didn't stop nevertheless appeared aroused and anxious when they arrived at the second building, as if there had been some conflict in their minds between helping the victim and their and meeting the needs of the experiment that they were participating in and getting, you know, getting to building B and doing their task. And so perhaps it's this conflict um, in our cognition that explains um, the dysfunction, if you like, the, the disconnect between values and actions rather than callousness of heart.
And of course, in addition to that experiment, we've all seen, uh, many of us will have seen on the news uh, from time to time, you know, some victim who, um, you know, lay on a road and at least a dozen cars just drove around before one stopped or we read about neighbours actually literally dying um, in blocks of flats and their bodies not being discovered for a long time because uh, no one actually cares about them. So, you know, we, we come across these stories in a modern way, these extreme stories from time to time. So here we have the priest and the Levite in our story who don't, who disappointingly, um, don't stop. And that other study that I mentioned in the 1970s definitely suggests that busyness uh, creates a problem for us in helping other people. But the Samaritan has much to teach us about the right way, okay? The Samaritan, despite um, being judged as not actually getting uh, religion right, not getting their religion right, not getting their understanding of God right, yet they truly did demonstrate that uh, by their actions that they loved God wholeheartedly, sacrificially even. They were willing to love um, the person who was lying in the street in a sacrificial way. It was expensive what they did. They gave up, a, sounds like a day of their time at least, they gave up money to help the person um, it was a very generous love of neighbour that the Samaritan shows us. And the Samaritan shows us that the point of the story is that there actually is no limit on who is our neighbour. There is no limit um, on, def on this definition. Uh, all are our neighbour. Love does not allow us to limit who we love just to this small category of person. And that's probably what the lawyer who asked Jesus the question was trying to do, put a boundary on how many people you had to help in life. And yet Jesus is basically saying everyone, the same way when he was asked about who, how often ought we to forgive, uh, 70 times, seven times, you know, like uh, we're meant to be forgiving people. We're meant to be people who love others. Yeah. And Jesus, I think, chose the Samaritan for this story because it was so confronting for the for the religious teacher, the teacher of the law, sorry, to, to hear that in this story. Well, how does this all apply to us today? We don't often see people lying in the street. Sometimes it happens. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of um, problems are hidden behind closed doors. But let me encourage you that uh, nevertheless, there are many around us, around me and around you, who need help. Um, hear these statistics. Apparently, just in our local area, which is called the Borbore Shire um, here in Warrigal, the in the Borbore Shire, um, we understand that there are 400 rough sleepers nightly. So there are 400 people who do not have a home or a caravan or a hotel room to sleep in. They have nowhere to sleep. 400 rough sleepers. And you know what? No one knows where they are. We don't know where they are. It's a very hidden problem, but we do know there's 400 estimated people. We know from other research um, that's been conducted by our government that one in four women, 23% or 2 million women, or one in six men have experienced abuse of an emotional kind at some point. You know, there's so much brokenness in our society, that widespread. And that two in five people or 
of all the people in our country have experienced either physical or sexual violence from the age of 15. Um, that's not to say that people don't experience that up before they're 15, but this is just the, the statistics that we have from studies. We also know that um, many people are in the grip of um, addictions, uh, a family breakdown, um, gambling, hard drug addiction, uh, pornography. We know that there is brokenness all around us. These people that we talk about needing help, they're not out there. These people are us. These people are amongst us. These people are us. They are our neighbours, our brothers and sisters. They are our friends. So this parable is not calling us to go and love everyone, but it's calling on us um, to put into practice our faith, uh, to put into practice our love of God and our love of neighbour. It's a call for us to question ourselves. Am I loving to others? Am I compassionate, really? Um, do I help others? Uh, if not, do I really love God? You know, we know that Jesus was the only one who completely fulfilled this command. But the, but the command still calls us to live a life which matches our values, which matches what we say we believe, loving God with all our heart, mind, strength and soul and loving our neighbours as ourselves, as we would want to be loved um, if and when we are experiencing problems like this. Our love of others flows from our love for God. We can discern our love for God by our love for others. Uh, love for people or its lack reveals the depth and the effectiveness of whatever philosophy we supposedly espouse. I want to finish up today by rewriting this parable, okay? I've got a, a modern version of the parable to read to you. Now, in my version of the story, um, I've changed, of course, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. And in the characters that I'm choosing, I just want to say a disclaimer. I do not mean any disrespect to any of these characters. Um, I'm simply trying to give a modern day equivalent uh, to Jesus's story. So here we go. A young single mother of two preschool kids recently moved into a rental house in Warrigal. It was evident to anyone who took the time to observe that she was struggling to cope with the demands of being a single parent and she was often seen pushing uh, their rather shabby pram with the two kids in it uh, from her house to the shops, from the park and back home again. One wintry Saturday evening at about 5pm, they were at the local supermarket and both kids with snotty noses were jumping around in a shopping trolley, throwing a wild tantrum in the confectionery aisle. A recently retired bishop who'd moved into a retirement village in the suburb uh, noticed them but quickly scooted down the next aisle in order to avoid them. Um, and then also uh, they were noticed a few minutes later 
by the local Anglican priest who saw them screaming at the cash register, but she made a very quick exit to her car. Two Mormon missionaries also saw the young mum and her kids. They'd actually seen them earlier in the day as well when they'd been out door knocking across the other side of the street. The two Mormons decided to create a hamper of healthy treats for the mum and kids and they snuck some essential groceries and some Vicks Vaporub and some tissues under the treats. They walked back up the hill about an hour later. They knocked on their door and they asked the mum if they could leave the hamper with her. A week later, they went back with another hamper, this time of kids' storybooks, and they told the mum they'd be happy to help out in any way. They left their phone numbers and they said that they'd knock again in about a week's time, uh, whether she called or not, just when they were passing. Now, which of the people, the bishop, the local priest or the Mormon missionaries, was a true neighbour to the young mum? We should be like them. We should allow this parable to change our lives. Thanks for listening.